about to hear my conversation with Leslie Marks. We talk all about the recent stock market performance, reasons for optimism, reasons for pessimism, and we talk about uh, the outlook for Canada, as well as what the second quarter earnings season means to stock markets. Oh, enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to have our CIO of Equities Back, Leslie Marks. Leslie, welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Lots to talk about today. I look forward to uh, a conversation about uh, all things market-oriented. Uh, the last time I had you was about a month ago, and I'd say over the past month, uh, things seem to be improving. Uh, we were seeing inflation that may have peaked. It's coming down a little bit. We had a great jobs number out of the U.S. Uh, gas prices are coming down. It's a lot less money to fill up my tank. Uh, we're even seeing uh, shiploads of grain coming out of the Ukraine, albeit uh, maybe not as regularly as uh, as uh, people would like. And stock markets have responded. They've, they've had a fairly healthy month. So is the worst behind us? Well, it, it does almost seem like a bit of a fairy tale, uh, the way you painted that picture, Matt. Um, if you were If you were to look at market performance, it certainly does look like the worst is behind us. Uh, as you as you pointed out, both equities and bonds found their bottom in the middle of June, after right after the June FOMC meeting, and then right. of course they got a second jolt this week from better than expected U.S. CPI data. So, um, you know, beginning in the middle of June, we saw uh, interest rates started to fall, and uh, the bond market started to anticipate that these aggressive central bank interest rate increases um, would actually work to slow down the economy and sufficiently attack inflation. And equities also started to rise on the same basis. And because people started to price in um, an economic slowdown, commodities also fell at at the same time. Um, So what you can really see here is the business cycle at play. The economy gets overheated, Central bankers raise rates to slow down the economy. And then we enter in a new cycle, which all makes sense, right? Sure. But, but, but here's the problem with that. Um, yes, the economy has slowed, but we're really only in the early stages of the slowdown. And yet the market is already pricing in a recovery. Uh, leading economic indicators have been declining over the last four months, but that's that's a leading indicator. That's really just showing the start of the slowdown. And the reason that I say that we're in the early stages is because we haven't yet seen, and you pointed this out, a material impact on employment yet or consumer spending or a corporate impact. So, you know, we saw the jobs numbers last week. They were very good. Payroll numbers are still increasing. The big inflation culprits have now moderated fuel, used cars, airfare, rental cars. But other um, data points are quite sticky and still increasing, like wages and housing metrics like owner's equivalent rent. So the good news is, and uh, you know, I don't want to put a wet blanket on all of this, but the good news is that 
um, we, we can probably rule out the risk of a big interest rate increase for now, something surprising, um, like a 75 or 100 basis point increase from central bankers at their next meetings. But if we don't get a significant slowdown where unemployment increases, inflation is going to remain substantially above that targeted 2% level. So the issue now is what the path of inflation is from here. And that's the one that we as investors must continue to confront. Um, you know, the last the last note of caution that I would make is that uh, when we saw the CPI print from um, uh, from this week, the bond market didn't respond the same way that equities did. You saw yields fall at first, but by the end of the day, they had recovered to be mostly flat across the curve. So what do you make of that? I, I, I mean, I, I guess with uh, both the yield story as well as uh, your expectation that the FOMC won't do a, a big interest rate hike, um, maybe they're maybe they're combined, maybe they're not. But I, I would think that given the, the robustness in jobs that the Fed might actually say, OK, well, inflation is still much higher than our target range. We still have a very healthy economy. Maybe we can push interest rates a little higher. What, why wouldn't they go down that road? I think that's I think that's exactly it. You know, when the uh, Fed uh, had their press conference at the last meeting, people interpreted uh, Jerome Powell's comments as a Fed pivot. Right. And I think we um, in, in our uh, McKenzie's Global Investment Committee have been reviewing the nuance of that conversation and, and, and that press release and wondering if the market interpreted it as a pivot but it really wasn't meant to be a pivot. And I think what the central bankers conundrum is right now, um, and I say that collectively, is that um, th we're still a ways off of the, the targeted 2% level. And so there's, there's, it's clear that central bank policy is making a difference, but we're not where we need to be just yet. And I think that's why the bond market is giving a fairly clear signal that a significant slowdown, potentially recession, based on the inversion that we're seeing in the yield curve, is in our future. And equities just aren't buying that outlook just yet. Right. So there's a, a tension there. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see who wins over time. Um, I want to circle back on some of the comments that you made earlier about commodity prices coming down, uh, interest rates clearly going up. Uh, as a Canadian, uh, this is, you know, uh, ringing warning bells, I'd say. Uh, obviously, we're well known for uh, being a large commodity uh, producer, fairly interest rate sensitive economy, given the amount of household debt that Canadians uh, have had. Um, what's your current view on, on Canada? Uh, are you concerned uh, or are you still fairly bullish? So Canada has been a market that we have favored uh, since the end of last year. So we're almost coming up to a year on that call. And more recently, we've um, taken that enthusiasm down when it comes to Canada and moved from an overweight towards Canada to a neutral weighting, while at the same time taking our underweight perspective on U.S. equities and saying that that should be neutralized as well. So we, we've sort of offset on, on the equity market with Canada and the U.S. And so maybe just to give you a little bit of context around that, when we went uh, more positive on Canada at the end of last year, it was really related to our outlook for the global post-pandemic recovery and how that would be beneficial for a more cyclical market like Canada, as you pointed out, which is more leverage to global growth. 
And we also thought that moderately rising interest rates would be good for the Canadian banking sector. Hmm. Um, also, 10 years of what we would describe as capital deprivation for the commodity sector would also set up for a nice supply-driven rally in commodity prices. And Canada had an attractive dividend yield. It was about 2.5% at the time. So all of those things pretty much um, played out. But fast forward to now, um, some of those conditions still exist, namely the strong cash flow from the commodity sector and right. the attractive dividend yield. In fact, we're yielding over 3% in Canada today. But, um, and this is a big but, the deteriorating global economic backdrop just doesn't provide the same compelling story for Canadian stocks relative to other markets. We've been surprised by the stickiness of inflation, the rate of inflation. Um, if we knew that inflation was going to be this high, I think we wouldn't be surprised by the policy response, but those two things are obviously interconnected. So we're not negative on Canada right now. There's still many great opportunities. We have several leading uh, global businesses, but we just don't have that tailwind of a strong global commodity, uh, sorry, global economy. So it's really just a relative attractiveness call. Um, our preference for Canada over the U.S. just doesn't exist anymore from a risk reward perspective. Fair enough. And, and, and uh, I have sort of two areas that I'd like to explore after that. When I think about the U.S. and what has happened um, recently, it's really been the tech names that have led the decline. Um, are you is part of the call on, on the U.S. that you think that that is appropriately done, overdone, or you're a little bit more bullish on the tech sector? Or is it just relative to the Canadian uh, economy and that being a little bit less um, advantageous in your view? Well, I think you're exactly right to focus on technology. And it's almost like um, you have two things to focus on when you're comparing Canada and the U.S., commodities versus technology. And right. it's, it's a bit of a warring match between those uh, two sectors because they each dominate in their respective markets. Um, technology being about 27, 28% of, of the S&P. It's hard to make a call about the US without thinking about technology and growth stocks. Sure. And the reality is that in a backdrop where growth becomes more scarce, um, investors will gravitate towards the highest growth names. Now, that's obviously contrary to what we've seen, you know, which basically started in Jan the first trading day of the year right. in January, where uh, growth stocks got sold um, aggressively and, and they have throughout the year, although we've seen a bounce uh, right now. So I think there's a lot of opportunity um, due to sort of a macro overlay that really sort of focused on selling all tech stocks without differentiation. So there is definitely opportunity that's been created in, in technology, but also there is a lot of history when you look um, at how markets have behaved uh, when growth is scarce, that investors will tend to focus on the secular growth stories, which tend to be technology names. And so, again, takes you away from the more economically cyclical names that dominate the Canadian stock market. Right. Um, makes a lot of sense behind the, the relative call. As a, as a Canadian and a homeowner, uh, I, uh, I take special attention to the headlines coming out of uh, all the bank economists and that type of thing that are calling for sort of the worst housing market uh, in, uh, in generations. Uh, within Canada, 
Um, one, I guess, do you have an opinion on the Canadian housing market? And then I guess second of all, what do you think that does for something like banks or, or maybe any other segment of the Canadian economy? Well, it's interesting because I read all those headlines too. And I'm always reminded when I see the scary headlines that what, you know, when you get interviewed uh, by a journalist, you don't get to write your headline. <laughs> and I think I think often what happens when uh, the bank economists who are often interviewed on the housing sector in Canada, um, th- they probably read the headlines and say to themselves, but that's not what I said or that's not what I meant because they, they come out so, so negative and then, um, you know, become these like housing hawks, if, if, if you will. Right. So. But uh, to, to, to level set, um, there's, there is something there uh, with respect to uh, how housing has done, um, certainly for a, a large uh, percentage of the homeowners in, in this country. They, they have not experienced a housing downturn. I mean, they are investors sure. in the housing market or real estate that think that uh, prices will always go up because supply has been scarce. Like you could, you could justify, reverse justify um, why housing prices continue to go up due to a shortage of supply. But, but guess what? Um, uh, you know, in certain market conditions, uh, supply and demand start moving in in different directions, and interest rates became the thing um, that really started to bring uh, supply and demand into check in, in housing, and that's what we're experiencing now in in real time. And we have, over the last four or five months, seen a substantial downturn in pricing, not year over year, I just want to um, clarify that, but but right. month over month since since the peak. And, and the froth has really come out of the market. Um, certainly the secondary markets, uh, particularly those where people uh, focused on second home purchases, um, that market has really uh, dried up because, as you can imagine, that's the ultimate consumer discretionary. So the buyers have really just disappeared uh, for now as they wait for lower prices. And then primary markets um, like Toronto and Vancouver are also experiencing tumbling prices in the face of a slow market because the suburb is always slow uh, for real estate. And I'm not even sure we're seeing a, a true market because many people, when prices start to fall, will kind of stay on the sidelines and say, well, I'm just going to wait or relist my house in the fall or at another time when prices are are better. So I think that's what the economists are really focused on is could that decline in housing really accelerate to the negative um, from here? I, I guess two more points I would make are um, a lot of homeowners have used their home for as, as a bank account. Sure. And as prices fall, that that is no longer an option. So it does have a multiplier effect to the consumer and to the Canadian economy. So I think that's also a negative backdrop for um, Canada specifically. Um, the last point I'll make is that, um, and, and it's a mild positive for housing in, in Canada, which is, Although um, it has certainly increased over the uh, last couple of years, the percentage of variable rate mortgages used in Canada, um, it's still a relatively low number. And the variable rate mortgages, as you can imagine, in uh, when interest rates are rising so quickly, um, is um, uh, probably the most, th- th- that's the homeowner that is the most impacted by rising interest rates in the short term. Right. Um, well, you, you burst my bubble a little bit, Leslie. I thought I was just smart getting into the housing market and all of those gains were due to my own uh, intelligence. But I guess I was just 
fairly lucky uh, as far as time goes. So um, why don't we move to well, the... You, you know uh, the expression, Matt. It's, it's better to be lucky than smart. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Well, I'll take it then. Um, <laughs> uh, moving on to the uh, quarterly earnings season. Uh, we're nicely through Q2 earnings season. Um, what did you see out of uh, different companies? Uh, there's a wide range of companies reporting, uh, some positive, some negative. What did you take from the earnings season as a whole? Well, I think that this is the one area actually that I won't burst your bubble because this is the the area that has really um, surprised on the upside. And I would say that the earnings season has not has not been as bad as we thought it was going to be. Um, and the evidence is when I look at the consensus estimates, and I've been following this for the S&P 500 and, and the S&P TSX, over the last four weeks, so primarily the earnings season, we've actually only seen downward revisions of 1% to 2%. So they're not moving upward, but you know that's, that's not really a material uh, downtick. Canadian stocks today are trading at, um, I mean, if you want a reason to be positive on Canada, here it is. Uh, Canadian stocks are trading at 12 times this year's earnings, as I mentioned, with a 3% yield, wow. and earnings aren't falling. And, and when stocks are trading at 12 times, that usually tells you that the market does not believe in the earnings outlooks. It's a very cheap multiple. So um, that's why we can't get really negative on Canada, because um, the earnings are proving more sustainable than we thought. And if, if I look at the US, um, the S&P is trading at 18 and a half times this year's earnings, which sounds like a huge premium to, um, uh, to Canada. But as you and I talked about earlier today, that's mostly related to the 27% uh, infotech sector weight. Right. So it makes sense that US stocks would trade at uh, a higher multiple. And intuitively, you know, higher labor costs, higher material costs, declining demand, that should be impacting the earnings outlook for the majority of, of businesses, but we're just not seeing that in um, the revisions for downward expectations. And so this is, you know, sort of takes us full circle to the top of our conversation, which is, you know, why the stock market is pricing in a different outlook from the bond market. And I think that the stock market is is clearly pricing in a soft landing right. um, that may be premature, and it would certainly be counter to history, given the pace of tightening liquidity that we're seeing today. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. And if we, if the Fed is able to orchestrate a soft landing, or the Bank of Canada as well, then um, stocks have this right. Great. The um, I'm curious about this soft landing and the probability on two two parts. Um, one, uh, you, you referenced it doesn't happen often during history. Uh, are there times that you point that you can point to that sort of feel like this time where we have been able to get out of uh, it with a soft landing? Uh, and then maybe I'll compound my questions because you might be able to answer them in one. Uh, is what happens in the U.S. likely to happen in Canada? So if the Fed is successful or if the Fed overshoots, is it very likely that Canada follows suit? Okay, so to answer your first question, there has not been a time in history, I believe, that we have moved to increase interest rates at this pace and we have experienced a soft landing. So um, based on sort of the facts that we, the facts that, the, the set of facts that we have today, um, it is unlikely, but you know, anything is possible because we are in an extraordinary time right. um, because we are post pandemic, which none of us have lived through. 
Um, the second uh, question, so will Canada follow the U.S.? Well, in history, actually, um, there has been a time when Canada decoupled from the U.S., which was uh, in the uh, tech um, wreck or meltdown in early 2000, and Canada skated on through and was able to experience a commodity super cycle, which helped maintain the Canadian economy. Um it is hard to see that that would be the scenario today because that commodity super cycle was driven by um, the um, extreme industrialization and build out in China. So it was um, a situation that we don't think will be repeated this time around. But the one thing I will say, and, and I'm not going to say that I expect a commodity super cycle here, but it is clear that the uh, deprivation of capital spending in the commodity sector has put the supply and demand fundamentals in a much more favorable position for commodity markets. So we don't expect to see as significant a downturn as we've seen historically in commodity cycles from the economic downturn. Um, we think that the commodity markets are set up a lot better fundamentally than they have been in the past just because they are supply um, there are shortages of supply in most uh, commodities today. So there is a chance that we have a slightly different outcome. But if I were to bet today, I think we will follow uh, the U.S. economy. Because remember, the big backdrop here is post-pandemic recovery. And we're both faced with the same um, fundamentals on that front. That's great. Uh, so to summarize, if if I could... Uh, it sounds like uh, I enter the conversation with a lot more optimism. Maybe you've grouted me a little bit, but not wholly negative uh, on, on where we are. Uh, there's a tension between the fixed income market that's calling for more of a recession, equities think it's a soft landing, um, and, uh, and you're, it sounds like you're maybe between the two as far as uh, what camp you're in. Is that, is that a fair summary, was it? Yeah, I, th I think with the information we have today and what we're seeing in the economy, it's certainly indicating a soft landing is possible. Um, I think where I have caution around coming out strong on that view is it, it may be premature. Um, we're just starting to see the impact of the slowdown on the economy. And I, I use the jobs data as the, and I know jobs data is a lagging indicator, sure. but I'm still surprised by the fact that we're not seeing unemployment rising, the unemployment rate rising at all in Canada or the U.S. And so I think that is is still to come. And what I don't know is if that will start feeding on itself right. and accelerating this economic slowdown or if we just hit a lower level and kind of plateau at that level. So I think it's too soon to make that determination. Great. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, uh, and uh, we'll continue to have you back on the podcast to help us steer through these uh, these markets and see what we end up getting. So, Leslie, thanks so much for spending the time. Thank you, Matt. It's great to chat with you today. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events.
Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 